Welcome to Leading Insights. Today we're joined by the Chief Exec of Young Scott Louise McDonald. I'm Thomas Lamont. I'm a dental trainee in NHS Tayside in the University of Dundee. And I'm Kay Tarrow and I'm an anaesthetist in NHS Tayside. Uh, welcome to Leading Insights, Louise. Hello there, lovely to be with you. Louise, can you tell us about your current role and how you got there? Okay, um, it was a bit of a meandering path, um, but I'm currently a chief executive at Young Scott, so we're um, young people's charity, working with young people aged 11 to 26, and we're a membership organisation for young people focused around um, youth information and giving young people access to services um, and opportunities. So we've got about 700,000 members across Scotland uh, who are members of Young Scott. But my original career, um, I was a journalist. Um, so um, I started as a journalist. I studied at Napier in Edinburgh and studied journalism. And then I was a journalist on um, various kind of local papers. So originally down in the Midlands, down in Burton-on-Trent, um, Staffordshire, Leicestershire, around about those areas. Um, and then on national newspapers, um, but it was national tabloids that I was working on. Um, so I um, reached a point uh, working in national tabloids where I realised it wasn't for me. Um, but uh, I just walked in one day and quit and decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. And so as I went to sign on at the job centre um, in those days, because I'm quite old, um, I was walking back past my local Citizens Advice Bureau and they had a sign in the window saying they needed volunteers. So I thought, OK, yeah, I can do that. I could probably make some use of my time while I'm unemployed. And from there, it was just a brilliant experience. Just loved every minute of it and really was in my element in terms of supporting people in the community. Um, and so from that, I then got a role in establishing a brand new volunteer centre. Um, in my local area, my, my local uh, authority area. So um, set that project up from scratch, set up lots of community projects as part of it, and span out lots of great projects, furniture recycling projects, work with adults with additional support needs. Um, we did a, 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 we set up a charity shop, um, a street front charity shop that charities could, could hire by the week and keep the profits. Um, which was the source of the most fun I've ever had in my whole life. It was just hilarious fun and it was brilliant. Um, and also then I started um, specialising in supporting young people to volunteer. And that's where I kind of started to kind of really recognise how amazing young people were, how committed they were to their community, um, how much they wanted to kind of make a difference, which was really, I suppose, in some ways, um, not the public narrative. Um, even at that time and so I then got a, a national role um, to promote youth volunteering and to support more organisations to offer opportunities to young people as volunteers which was a great project, travelled all over Scotland and did that work and then I had a wee spell in public affairs um, combining that kind of work and kind of communities with and then the um, third sector um, with my journalism skills um, and then communications and I became the communications officer at Young Scott and then when the founder of Young Scott retired it was an open contest and uh, I applied for the job and was successful so I'm actually Young Scott's only second chief executive that we've ever had. What was it that drove you to change 
direction in your career away from journalism? Yeah, it was um, it was a big decision, has to be said. Um, I suppose my original motives for going into journalism is I really believe that knowledge is power. Um, so that kind of the real kind of the, the values of the importance of journalism and the importance of the fourth estate um, and how um, you know great journalism can really um, empower um, people. And that was why I went into it. And I, I, I believed that wholeheartedly then, and I still do, um, I still do now. But in terms of um, some of the things that I was being asked to do, particularly when I moved into national tabloids, I should say at local level, the local newspapers that I worked on, it was it was brilliant and it was very different. It was absolutely kind of rooted in the community and you were really part of the community and I would find myself, you know, doing all kinds of different things. I was court reporter, tribunal reporter. I was the um, well-being reporter. I was the music reporter. I mean, I did everything. You were just absolutely embedded in the community. And it was wonderful. And I'm still a huge champion of local newspapers and, and local and, and local journalism. But when I moved to national tabloids, that just that just changed. And it was at the time where there was some exceptionally bad behaviour in the tabloids. So we're talking about the kind of 1990s. And I really just didn't like what I was being asked to do or what was expected of me. As a, um, And actually now, as I look back on it, as a young um, woman journalist, at the time I didn't recognise the... The sort of the sexism and the misogyny that was in um, within how I was treated and in some of my experiences, I actually only realised that relatively recently, sadly. But the, the kind of the clash with my values was just too much, and I just found myself every day thinking, "I don't know who I am in doing these things," um, and that kind of dissonance is impossible to live with. So I just felt that I needed to. I needed to change, really. You know, that kind of crunch moment where I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I just can't. The only thing I can do is, is walk into that newsroom tomorrow and, and say I'm resigning and just walk back out again. That's the only thing I can do. And on the long drive home, because I was in Derby at the time, <laughs> on the long drive home uh, to Scotland, I kind of, um, I thought, right, well, what do I do now? And I was like, well, you need to just figure out what's coming next. And... I suppose that's why it was so amazing that I walked past the Citizens Advice Bureau because that is knowledge is power, right? That's what it's doing. It's empowering people through information. And I thought, ah, this is it. And so just I had a brilliant, brilliant manager of the Citizens Advice Bureau and ads head of Musselburgh CAB. She must be named because she's brilliant. You just recognised that I would be able to, to really help for the time that I was there as a volunteer and I went through all the training and I was trained as a, to support people in tribunal. And then I was trained as a trainer and she got me writing the community plan. I had no idea what a community plan was up to that point, but she just got me doing it all. And I just loved it. And I've never looked back from that point about saying, actually, here's how I can use the skills that I have to make a difference in communities. So, um, so I'm still, as I say, incredibly passionate about the importance of high quality journalism um, and I use the skills that I gained from it every single day in my job there's no question. The, so the, the Young Scots strategic plan for 2019 to 2022 I've read was uh, led entirely by young people 
Now, we are hearing a lot just now about co-design of services and public involvement. As the chief exec, as the most senior leader, if you will, how did you approach that and, and also like giving away all of that control that you have? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. Um, it was an amazing process. And um, I'm not sure people believe me, <clears throat> but it's absolutely the case that I did not see the draft strategic plan until the day it was submitted to our board. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't see it at all. Um, so Young Scott began looking at co-design with young people a long time ago, at least 10 years ago. There was a really brilliant piece of work that Nesta um, led and the New Economics Foundation had led, which was actually based on co-design in the NHS. It was based on co-design in health services. That's actually where some of the concepts of co-design and taking a design approach um, began, actually. It kind of began in, in, in the NHS. And we really liked the report that they produced because we'd reached a point as an organisation where lots of people were coming to us and saying, Young Scott's got lots of members, you've got lots of young people who you're in contact with. Um, We're thinking of doing X, Y and Z. Could you go and ask young people what they think? And we would. And then we'd supply that information. The young people would be amazingly generous with their insight and so on. And then they'd hear nothing back and they would never know the difference, whether any difference had been made, whether any of it had been listened to or implemented. So that feedback loop, which is what's often called, was never closed. And I suppose about 10 years ago, we just realised, actually, we're, we're in danger of being one of the bad guys here. You know, actually, we're part of this. We're facilitating um, the fact that, that, that this is happening. And so we had to stop it. And so we shifted to a co-design model. And I kind of recruited one of Duncan of Jordanston's finest um, service design graduates 10 years later. So it's probably okay to admit that at that point we had no funding for her as a charity. It was basically get us enough work to cover your wages and we'll be fine. Um, And now we've got a team of eight. Um, who and it's one of our um, and it's one of our our main services is our our co-design service so we've learned a huge amount in that over over 10 years working with partners and amazing organizations willing to take public bodies and others willing to take big risks about sharing power with young people but it's been a learning process of course it has and when I look at what we did 10 years ago to what we might do now and you see where how that shifted and the and the difference in terms of how young people are are involved that is quite significant but for us we were then saying well actually we have to do this as well so we've involved we'd involved young people in our strategic planning and our the design of our services and so on a lot and we had a a group called All In, which was on uh, where young people audited our services so audited young Scott using a co-design process um, so we've tried lots of, of these different models over the years and um, young people on our board. So um, our vice chair, when she joined us and was appointed uh, vice chair, was 16. Um, but a quarter of our board are under the age of 26. So it's not just one thing. You know, it's important that we're sharing um, um, all, all power um, across all the kind of different places where decisions are made. But then when it came to the point of producing this latest strategic plan, which we're now in year two of, for us, it actually just made sense to kind of go, well, actually, young people need to, 
to do this in terms of deciding who we are and what we do within the remit of our mission as the National Youth Information Agency. It has to be kind of young people that do that. And, you know, that's about walking the talk. Of course it is. But if I'm honest, it's also because we trust young people. <laughs> There's one thing that we've learned um, over the years. And I mean, of course, I would say this, but truly trust young people, trust their expertise, trust their motives, trust their ideals, trust their ideas. Um, because actually, you know, I, I, genuinely, every young person that we works with wants to make life better for other people. The compassion and generosity of young people to others in their communities and families and so on is, is, is limitless. And so it's just about unleashing that. Um, and so, you know, we, for us, it was then a case of, well, okay, let's do it. And, of course, they brought something brilliant to it because, you know, we were like, oh, it's going to be a strategic plan. And they were like, no, it's three years, so it has to be YS3. It has to have a hashtag, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it has to be YS3. And, uh, and we'll ask three questions and we'll hold three workshops and three of us will go and interview key stakeholders and ask them three questions. And so this whole thing just became this fabulous creative enterprise that just brought something to it that we would never have had if we just sent out our usual we're doing our strategic plan and here's our survey and we've commissioned a company to ask you some questions on our behalf and that wouldn't you know we wouldn't we I almost know what we'd have got actually but actually doing it this way from the young people that approach it just made it entirely different um and you know how did I kind of as a leader kind of love it I embraced it I loved it I was super excited to see what they came up with. It's so much more surprising, you know, when you when you use proper design methods, isn't it? And and you get these incredible insights, as you say. Like it's so easy to tick that box and say that you've included people and you've sent the survey and you've asked all these closed questions. But it's only through these conversations and events that you can really get not not only truly understand things, but actually get these incredible ideas. Yeah, and young absolutely. people are so good at being honest and frank and upfront, aren't they? At yeah. Being yeah. bold about it all. Absolutely. I mean, and there's a couple of great examples around. I mean, one example from the strategic plan was that we asked young people and stakeholders um, what were the kind of top 10 issues that they felt Young Scots should focus on for the next three years so the young people wanted to to do that as a as a so they did that as a survey. They surveyed stakeholders and young people separately. The young people's list of top of ten had drugs as the second most important thing for us to have share information about. Mental health was first, and um, drugs was second. Money was third, actually, and fourth was Europe. So this is lots of lots of shattering myths about what young people are interested in going on. But the stakeholders didn't have drugs in their top 10 at all. And that included stakeholders who worked with young people and those responsible for policy making, because there was a sense that oh, we're kind of, you know, that's not a young people's thing anymore, you know. And actually the young people were like, no, we, you know, drugs are still present in our lives. They're different. It's present in different ways, and some of it's, you know, legal highs and so on. But actually, no, it still is such a huge issue in our lives as to be the the second most popular thing. 
It's a it's a really nice it's a really nice story because when I read that they'd done it, I thought, well, that's whereas it just as you said because it's been a journey for young Scott, it just seems the next logical step. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, and they're all, and I've already been told by the young people that were involved that next time they're like, you know, I'm out and they're all. <laughs> it's great. I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm very glad that there's a long line of uh, potential successors queuing up to nudge me out of the way. That's great. Beyond your role as Chief Executive for Young Scott, you also have a high-profile and important role as the co-chair of the First Minister's Advisory Council on Women and Girls. And you're also on the board of the Scottish Parliament think tank Scotland's Futures Forum, which even just saying it all is exhausting and you're juggling all of it. How do you choose where to focus your energy and how do you balance it all? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it does sound like a lot, doesn't it? Um, that doesn't include some of the other things that I do as yeah. well. So um, I'm a board member in a couple of other places too. You know, so looking at it, you might just think, well, she's a bit of a kind of classic uh, workaholic. And there's probably a bit of that. But I'm actually very thoughtful about where I put my energy. I'm very thoughtful about it. It probably happened probably about five years ago or so, uh, as, as will happen to most people when they kind of hit their 40s and are approaching their kind of the 50s. Um, there was a bit of a thought about, well, if my, my time here is finite and I now kind of know what matters to me um, and what are the things that I want to do something about, um, where is it then that I want to make a difference? Where, where do I actually want to place my energy? I also um, felt very passionately about, about what I was witnessing in terms of um, the experience of young women um, and some of the, um, the inequalities um, that were placed in the barriers that were placed in their way due to, to sexism and misogyny and also um, racism and um, and so I really did a lot of kind of thinking about where do I, where, where is it that I want to kind of spend that energy? And I suppose I've also, um, I'm quite thoughtful about, you know, where can the privilege that I have due to my position, and there are all sorts of things that you can kind of pick apart about why should I even have that privilege as a leader and so on. But there was a point where I thought, well, if I have that, then where can I put it to most use? Where can I kind of make the kind of the biggest difference? Where are the kind of the places whereby I might get in, but others might not? You know, I might get to a table, but others may not. But whilst I'm there, how do I open up that space? So how do I use that to create space for others? So actually, probably my mission now um, is much more about how I can share power um, how I can give it away. So YS3 is a great example about how can I really thoughtfully give away power and how can I kind of create spaces. Um, so quite often I think of what I'm kind of doing is just kind of creating a bit of space for people, inviting others into the space that's been created and then getting out of the way. <laughs> and so a lot of my job, a lot of the time now as a leader is... Um, is actually just getting out of the way. Um, and that's that's a big part of kind of what drives me and 
Um, so I am actually probably more thoughtful about it than people would suspect. They might just think she can't say no to anything, but actually I say no to lots of things. <laughs> so the things that I do choose to do are things that really are, are really important to me and mean something to me and where I see an opportunity to maybe create a path and create a space for others. I mean, I think that's a tension that a lot of us find in our roles and especially as you go through your career, you know, what, what to say yes to, what to, how do you back? Has your thinking on that or the way that you process those decisions, has that changed throughout your career? So are you, more, it, yeah. you were saying that, are you more deliberate about it now than perhaps? Yeah, I probably am. Yeah, I am probably more deliberate about it um, now than than, um, than I was um, at the beginning of my kind of career path, if you like, in the, in the third sector. I've also over probably the past five years as well done a lot more kind of thinking and there's been a lot more dialogue and conversation about these things as well we're actually talking about these things more right and and in particular my um, kind of switch on to this way of thinking I think was I I spent about a year and I only read black feminists and um, that was all I did for a whole year there were the only books that I read um, and I've taken a huge amount from that and um, that influences a huge part of my kind of thinking and my practice um, now um, in terms of how I kind of approach things and how I, um, I think about the kind of spaces that I'm in. Um, so that's been a really, um, if I think about what's had the biggest impact on my leadership beyond constantly being inspired by young people and challenged by young people and having young people asking really hard questions as well quite right and holding me to account which will always keep you on your toes but also I think that the biggest influence for me has, has been um, the learning that I've been through um, in particular black feminism. Is there one one book that you would recommend that you Oh, I think you kind of need to go for the classics, really. But Audrey Lord, I think so. Um, just just anything by Audrey Lord. So we're, we're chatting today in sort of early September. We're we're six months, if you will, into the pandemic in the UK terms, and people across the system are are pretty tired, pretty close to burnout in a lot of the places, and it's really important for us all, but especially maybe for leaders to keep themselves well, especially times like this. How is it that you balance that and look out for yourself and look after yourself? Yeah, it's a hugely important um, question and and one that I think we all kind of, you know, we thought about before the pandemic, but certainly right now, six months in, is a question that's far more pertinent, um, I think. And... I think for me, there's a couple of kind of things. I think from a professional point of view, and particularly during the pandemic, um, what's come through is a real solidarity and support structure from my peers in sort of third sector and across sort of public services. Um, and that actually has been a huge help in terms of, of kind of well-being. There's been lots of um, weekly kind of check-in get-togethers there's been um you know people kind of saying well we'll let's come together and share practice or share ideas and and in particular when things are moving at such speed um and you think you have to kind of try and oh i have to come up with a solution to this all by myself that that sense of um a collegiate uh, kind of approach has been incredibly welcome and i think um 
has been part of what's what's really kind of helped keep the support structures alive for and um, for those of us that are, are kind of delivering um, services related to um, to the pandemic, which for us is about youth information for young people. Um, in terms of my own kind of self-care, um, I'm very good at kind of settling into home at the weekend. Um, I do try and kind of, um, despite working with young people, um, I do try and kind of keep my kind of weekends um um, clear and um, that's kind of you know I've been there done the you know got the t-shirt in terms of working every weekend with young people um, and I should hasten to add my team are still doing it um, but um, but for me um, that kind of sinking into home was important and the other bit for me is um, is photography um, and uh, I really love nature photography and getting out um, and uh, taking lots of uh, kind of photographs when I'm out on walks through forests or by water or whatever. And in some ways, it's almost my kind of mindfulness practice because I just am 100% absorbed in the photography and trying to um, capture the image that I really, really want to capture. So it's a great way for me to just 100% switch off. Louise, you've obviously had a really interesting career and um, you, you spend a lot of your time talking to young people. If you could sit down with your 16-year-old self, is there a bit, any advice that you would give to yourself now, knowing that what you know and experiencing what you've experienced? Oh, that's probably quite a long list. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure most young people wouldn't really be that interested in hearing it anyway, to be honest. But <laughs> so as most you, <laughs> but for me, um, I think I would. Um, it's quite interesting. I've probably been asked this question quite a lot, and I always do. Um, I always do kind of think about it because I don't ever want to give a glib answer, to be honest. Um, I suppose one of the things I see a lot is. Um, and particularly at 16, is that you think the decisions that you are making are going to define the rest of your life. And they're really not. And so that sense of you can always change your mind, we can always change your mind, um, feels important um, around kind of young people because they think this is it, this is the be all and end all. And I was certainly guilty of that. Um, that kind of the stress around that. I think um, I would also say, you know, stop worrying about what other people think about you. But that's much easier said than done when you're an adult. I don't think that's even possible for teenagers because they're not, you know, that it's such a developmental stage um, that, excuse me, that's the door going that you've just heard in the background there. Um, so, yeah, so to say to young people, stop worrying about what others think about you is um, is important, but it's a hard one for teenagers because they're they're kind of hardwired at that stage that they're looking around, you know, at peers and how to find their own way in the world and who am I in the world and so on. And so they do judge themselves against others and so on. So it's really difficult, but I'd want to say that to, um, to the 16-year-old me. Um, and I suppose the other thing I want to say to the 16-year-old me is, it's all going to be okay and there will come a point where you can buy fresh flowers for your house anytime you want. In another life and another chance at a career, what do you think you would have liked to have been? 
Oh, well, when I was um, growing up, I wanted to be an archaeologist. And uh, but I didn't get in to university because I got really terrible careers advice at school, really awful careers advice. And so I didn't get in. Um, so I've never been to university. I've never been. Um, so journalism was my second choice. So archaeology still floats around. Um, I also, when I was younger, I was in the local amateur dramatics and musical um, society. So I still have that um, uh, the occasional uh, kind of moments where I uh, I dream about um, being in the greatest showman. Um, and uh, but if you were to say to me right now, if you could have an alternative career, uh, it would definitely be nature photography. I would just go and wander the world with my camera. I'd have a project where I would follow rivers from their source to the sea, taking photographs. I would try and photograph every type of tree in the world. Um, yeah, that's that's what I would do. I would just wander the earth with my camera. That would be it. Oh, that sounds lovely. I'll I'll join you. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Yeah, do you need someone to, you need someone to carry your bag? I will. <laughs> right, that's it. We're all going. That's good. <laughs> I'll clean the lens, and Thomas can carry the bag. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Your pl pleasure, a pleasure. It was great to talk to you.